was a sad story and a story with a lesson. I had a friend give me an article from the Commercial Appeal entitled, This Day in History. That article told the story of something that happened in 1913 to a man by the name of Henry W. Lewis, who was superintendent of the zoo. The article records that Henry Lewis was bitten by a rattlesnake. Now, it goes on to give some more details. The article said that for the past week before he had been bitten, he had been trying to make friends with the reptiles. It even said on the morning before he was bitten that he was there picking up rattlers and copperheads with his bare hands. When he returned that afternoon, he picked up a rattlesnake and it struck. Sad story. Important lesson. Here's the lesson. You can't play with snakes and expect not to get bit, right? It's the lesson. Can I tell you this? When it comes to sin, you can't play with sin and expect not to get bit. There are some real consequences for our lives when we choose to go down the wrong path away from God. And we'll see this in our text this morning. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. We're going to begin reading in verse 3. This will be our last sermon in 1 Samuel. So we've made it all the way through. It's been a rich study. Excited about what we have next. We're going to do some different things during the summer. And then when the school year starts back in August, we're going to begin a study in the book of Colossians. New Testament book of Colossians. I'm excited about that. But I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 3. The Bible says, Now Samuel was dead. And all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord. The Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful, Lord, for this privilege of corporate worship that we can gather together as a faith family and praise your name, adore you through song, and then just to be still in your presence and know that you're God, and to be still in your presence and ask you to speak into our lives. What a privilege. And Father, I pray that you would move in our midst in a mighty, mighty way. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would take the word and grip our hearts with it, that we might not only learn what we're studying, but learn it in such a way that we are moved to action. Learn it in such a way, Lord, that we are moved to apply the truths to our life. 
So, Father, have your way in our midst. May you show your might and your glory today. Establish my steps in your word, Lord, for we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The book of 1 Samuel is largely about leadership, the leadership of the nation of Israel. We saw early on in the book of 1 Samuel that the people of Israel wanted a king like all the other nations around them had, and the Lord knew this was not what was best for them, but the Lord was going to teach them some very important lessons, so the Lord allowed them to have a king, and he named the first king. His name was Saul. But because of Saul's disobedience and foolish decisions, the Lord took the kingdom away from Saul and gave it to a young man after his own heart, a young man by the name of David. And after the Lord told David he would be the next king, there was still a time period where Saul was on the throne and David was the king in waiting. And during that time, Saul grew insanely jealous of David to the point that he wanted to murder David. And a large portion of the book of 1 Samuel is this massive manhunt. Saul is using all the resources of his kingdom to track David down so that he can kill him. And it's a, a sad story that we see unfolding. Now here in this text, after David had fled to the Philistines for some refuge, we see that the Philistines come to march against Saul and his armies. And it says there in verse 4 that the Philistines gathered in Shunem and Saul gathered the Israelites in Gilboa. Now those are two locations on the north and the south side of the valley of Jezreel. The Philistines were on the north, the, the Israelites were on the south. and They were getting ready to battle for that strategic ground. Uh, but Saul knows the number of uh, men arrayed against him, and the Bible says he is uh, distressed, and he is afraid, and his heart is trembling greatly. Then we see some, some decisions that Saul makes that are tragic decisions, troubling decisions. I want to kind of walk through this with you because we're going to get to the end of the book. We're going to get to the, the consequences for Saul's behavior, and it is a sad story. So what I want to do is I want to walk with you through four aspects of this sad story. Then I want to close with some concluding statements and we will be through. First of all, as we think about this sad story, I want you to see the troubling decision. The troubling decision that Paul, I'm sorry, Saul made. It says in verse 3, the Philistines come to the Jezreel Valley on the north side. The Israelites gather on the south side. And it says there, uh, in verse 5, that when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, his heart trembled greatly. Now we're going to see what Saul's life is marked by or characterized by as we continue to read through this passage. First of all, Saul's life was marked by rejection by God. God had rejected him because of his, his foolish decisions. He had rejected Saul's leadership. Look what it says in verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 6. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And so Saul comes to God. He wants some guidance. How should I proceed in this looming battle with the Philistines? And he asks God for some direction, and there is nothing but silence from heaven. God does not answer him because God had rejected him. Saul had crossed a line in the heart of God. He had gone too far, and because he had gone too far, God was not going to guide him. 
God was not going to be with him. God was not going to bless him. God had rejected his leadership. And so because of his sinful behavior, because of his sinful decisions, Saul experienced rejection by God. And by the way, is there anything worse than that? Where you've crossed the line and gone too far and God says, my hand will not be upon your life. He was rejected by God. Secondly, Saul's life was marked by desperation. Desperation, it says uh, in verse 5 that he was afraid his heart trembled greatly. He goes to the Lord to inquire of him, but there's no answer from heaven. But look in verse 7. Then Saul said to his servant, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went. He and two other men with him, they came to the woman by night. Saul is so desperate for some guidance that he's willing to go to a medium, to a witch, to a necromancer, to try to get some insight into what he should do next. This speaks of total desperation. Here's one reason we know he was desperate. We know because of the geographic location of Endor. If you look on a map, uh, the Philistines were gathered in Shunem on the north side of the Jezreel Valley. The Israelites were on the south side of that valley. Endor was north of Shunem. So for Saul to get to Endor, he had to skirt around the Philistine army. This is a risky, risky thing that Saul was doing, but he was willing to do it because he was desperate. And he turns to demonic things. He turns to wicked things because of his desperation. And then third, Saul's life was marked by inconsistency. Look what happens there in verse 8. It says, they get to the woman by night, and he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. We were told that detail in verse 3 of this chapter, that Saul had made the decision there would be no spiritists, no mediums in the land, uh, because God had uh, forbid any of that among his people. And so Saul as king forbids him, which looks like a good decision, but Saul is so desperate that he's willing to live a, a hip, hip, hypocritical life. Even though he had forbid the spiritists and the mediums, he's willing to go to a spiritist or a medium. It's, it's inconsistent living. And then look what happens uh, at the end of that verse uh, 9. She says, why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? The king has, has banned all mediums. Why are you coming to me for some help? Saul vowed to her by the Lord saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So Saul is so desperate to have someone do something demonic for him that he's willing to swear by the Lord. You see the irony in that? I swear by the Lord you won't get hurt for conjuring up demons. Inconsistent living. And when you reject God, when you go your own direction, your life, just like Saul's, will be marked by a deep, profound inconsistency. Your life won't make sense. It's shocking to see how far people will go when they have turned their back to the Lord. And so we see the, the troubling decision that Saul made. He, he had crossed the line. He's willing to continue down that path. But also we see the truthful declaration. We see the truthful declaration. God uses this situation to speak to uh, Saul. Now, there are two parts of this truthful declaration. First of all, I want to talk for a few moments about the medium. Who is this woman? What's going on here? How are we to understand this passage? 
And then I want to talk about the message that Saul hears. First of all, who was this medium that Saul comes to? What's all this about? Because look what happens in verse 11. The woman said, if she's convinced by Saul that she would not get hurt, the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. She knew if this really was Samuel, she, she knew that this was probably Saul because they were together a lot in their life. And she says, you are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his form? She said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Then Samuel spoke to Saul. Samuel said something to Saul. Now, what is going on here? Who is this that the medium sees and Saul hears? Who is this figure? Well, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of conjecture on this passage, a lot of different interpretations of this passage. Some suggest that this figure was a demon posing as Samuel. Some say it was merely a hallucination on the part of same of Saul and the medium. Still others hold that this was a deceptive illusion performed by the woman. And then some say it really was Samuel who came from the place of the dead to speak to Saul. He said, wait, what is the right interpretation of this passage? Well, I believe that this is Samuel. And I want to give you some reasons to believe this really is Samuel in this passage. First of all, the Bible says it's Samuel. Case closed, all right? Notice what it says there uh, in verse 14. It says, Saul knew that it was who? Samuel. Then verse 15, then Samuel said to Saul. It doesn't say a hallucination said to Saul or a demon posing as Samuel said to Saul or, or a deceptive illusion said to Saul. It says Samuel said something to Saul. The Bible calls this figure Samuel. That's good enough for me. So I believe this really is Samuel. Here's another reason I believe it's Samuel. His message in verses 15 through 19 is, is perfectly consistent with his earlier message to Saul in chapter 15, verses 24 through 29. It's, it's consistent with his previous message. It says the same thing because it comes from the same person speaking on behalf of God. And then third, his prophecy that he makes to Saul is fulfilled the next day. He says in this message in verse 19, he says, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. You will be dead. And guess what? That's exactly what happened on that following day of battle. This prophecy was fulfilled. How do you explain that? This is God speaking to Saul through Samuel, making a prophetic declaration, and the prophecy comes true because when God makes a declaration, when God prof prophesies something, it's always going to come to pass. So his prophecy is fulfilled the next day. Now, how are we to think through that way? All right, this is a medium. She conjures up dead folks, and, and you're saying this really is Samuel? I mean, how does that all work together? Well, let me give you a few statements to think through. First of all, this passage is not meant to promote mediums. If you think that, you're missing the point of the passage. I think it's interesting to note that her methodology is not mentioned. It doesn't tell us how she did her craft, how she performed her deeds of of necromancy. It doesn't say that. It just says that, that she was asked to conjure up Samuel, and, and Samuel shows up on the scene. 
Because I believe the Lord knows if he gave us kind of a description of how she did things, there would be some misguided folks that would try to copy her behavior and try to be a medium themselves. But, but that is not even mentioned. This passage is not meant to promote mediums. You see, divination uh, was something the godless Philistines did. 1 Samuel 6.2. It's very clear. The Philistines were a pagan people, and they went to mediums. They went to diviners to try to discern their future and what they should do. God calls it wicked all throughout the Bible, and he commands his people to have nothing to do with it. Leviticus 19, 31, 20, verse 6, 20, 27, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, 1 Samuel 15, 23, Isaiah 8, 19, all over the Bible. The Bible is clear that, that, that being a medium, being a spiritist, being a, a person of divination is a sin. It is wicked. He commands people to have nothing to do with it. And it's interesting to note, that Saul was condemned for this act over in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles. I want to show you this. 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Unless you think this passage is trying to promote mediums. 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Look in verse 13. So Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it, and did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. And so Saul here said, or condemned, for going to a medium and asking a medium for guidance, condemned for this act. So this passage is not meant to promote mediums. Mediums are, are wicked. They're wrong. And by the way, they're still around today. Claire and I were watching TV the other night, and there was a commercial for a show called Long Island Medium. It's some woman lives in the suburbs of Long Island, and she's a medium. She, people come to her, and she, she conjures up dead people and, and, and tells them messages from their dead relatives or friends. And there's a show, I think it's on TLC, about that. And so the idea of speaking to the dead is still alive and well today, and it is wicked, it is wrong, it's immoral, it's demonic. We as Christ followers are to have nothing to do with it. You say, wait, how are they able to communicate uh, facts about dead people to, to loved ones? Because they say some things that are kind of right on, and it gets people's attention, and they're like, oh, you're talking to my loved one. Listen to me. Demons can be involved in that. They can certainly give that medium some information to get the, the point across they're talking to dead people. Right and get them to believe in that and fall for that. And so uh, being a medium, a necromancer, a spiritist is, is wicked. It is wrong. It is immoral. So how are we to understand this event? Even though Saul goes to a medium, the real Samuel shows up. So how are we to think through that? Well, look at there in your notes. Even though this was a sinful act, God permitted Samuel to speak a final word of judgment with Saul. It's as if God is saying, okay, Saul, you really want to know the truth? You really want a message about what's coming? I'll tell you the truth. And he sent Samuel himself to get the message to Saul. I think these three quotes here help us to understand what's going on here. I like what Jay Woodhouse says. He writes, did the woman have the power to bring Samuel back from the dead? The text does not say so. It simply tells us that Samuel appeared. It seems far more likely to me that the Lord sent Samuel to Saul on this evening, just as on a very different occasion he sent Moses and Elijah to Jesus. The dark powers of this woman, if she possessed such, were irrelevant. Thomas Figert writes this, 
that which satisfies the general scriptural doctrine as well as the specific context is that Samuel really appeared by direction of God himself and that the woman, Satan, or demons had nothing to do with it. And then Warren Wiersbe writes this. And I think this is a great explanation of what's happening here. Depending on demonic forces, the medium planned to impersonate Samuel. But the Lord permitted Samuel to appear. You remember what happened when she first saw Samuel? Look what it says uh, back in verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. See, I thought, I'm thinking here, she's thinking, I'm going to impersonate Samuel to make Saul think he's talking to Samuel. But when the real Samuel shows up, she's shocked and she cries out. I mean, something's different here. She was trying to practice her black arts, but the Lord bypassed all that and sent Samuel to her surprise and Samuel gave a very clear message to Saul. So that's how we understand the medium and the story. But I want you to focus on the message that Samuel gave Saul. First of all, Samuel wanted Saul to know that his sin would bring about spiritual death. Look in verse 16. Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? Why are you looking for me for help? The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your uh, neighbor. He says, the Lord has rejected you. He's not on your side anymore, Saul. He's not going to help you. He's not going to guide you. He's rejected you. You are separated from God. And that is a description of spiritual death, separated from God. But then his sin would bring about political death. Verse 17, he says, the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, given it to your neighbor David. The kingdom will no longer be yours or your family's. Also, Saul's sin brought about military death. Look in verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. In other words, because of your sin, your army will be defeated. Your kingdom will be, will be oppressed by the Philistine army, the Philistine people. You will experience a military defeat, military death. And then forth, forth Saul's sin brought about physical death. Look in verse 19. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines, you're going to die. You and your sons are going to die. And so Saul's, uh, Saul's sin brought about death. Spiritual, physical, uh, political, military. All of that was brought about by his sin. We see here the bitter end of Saul's tragic decisions. Which leads us to the third aspect of the story. I want you to see the total de- despondency. The total despondency. Look how Saul replies in verse 20, or how he responds. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. The woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified. And they convinced Saul to eat a little something because of his weakness, and he returns and goes back to his army. But notice here that that Saul is totally despondent because of his sinful decisions. Saul is left without God and without hope. When he hears this message, he falls flat on the ground, and he is living in terror because he knew that God's word would come to pass. He is totally despondent. As I studied this, I thought about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul's writing to uh, the church in Ephesus, and, and they were... Gentile believers, and he describes their life before they met the Lord. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 
He says, remember that you were at that time, before you were saved, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So what does it look like to have no hope and to be without God? Look at Saul. Lying on the floor, terrified. Nowhere to turn, nowhere to go. Life is closing in on him. He is totally despondent in this moment. Here's the fourth aspect of this sad story. We're going to see a tragic death. A tragic death. Turn over to chapter 31. Chapters 29 and 30 we covered last week talking about David going to the Philistines for help and he finds himself in a, a bind, but God delivers him from that. But in chapter 31 we see the rest of the story of how it went with Saul and his army. Look what it says in verse 1. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan. Boy, that's so sad to me. Jonathan is a hero in this book. He was a, a great warrior, a faithful friend, a loyal friend. He would have been a great king, but God took the kingdom away from his family because of his father's decisions. He would have been a great uh, encourager to David as David became king, but he never had that opportunity. He died because of the sins of his father. Killed Jonathan and Ab- Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle went heavily against Saul and the archers hit him and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and pierce me through with it. Otherwise, these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor bearer would not for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, He also fell on his sword and died with him. Thus, Saul died with his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men on that day together. Wow. What a sad, sad ending. A story that began with so much promise ends so poorly. And here's a truth I want you to to take hold of, and I I want it to take root deep down in your soul. There's great tragedy in not finishing well. Saul did not finish well. I've been thinking a lot about this this week, and here's the statement I've come up with. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Now let me tell you why I say that. I say that because God gives us more than one opportunity to start. Have you ever had to hit the spiritual reset button? Raise your hand. Aren't you glad that God gives you new starts? God gives you second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, there are times when we start poorly or we go down the wrong pathway. If we repent, get right with God, he gives us a brand new start. I've had many new starts in my life. How about you? So there's a lot of different chances to, to, to spiritually reset. But listen to this. You only finish once. You don't get a chance to go back and finish again, do you? And once you finish, you're finished. When you step out of this life, you're done. And whatever's going on in your life, when you finish, will be your legacy. So it's not so much how you start, it's ultimately how you finish. What legacy will you leave behind? And Saul finished poorly, and it is tragic to see. 
So what I want to do is I want to draw just some, some conclusions with this story and really with the book of 1 Samuel. I want to close down our time. If you look down your notes, you can follow along with me. First, sin leads to tragedy. I mean, if 1 Samuel's taught you anything, if it's taught me anything, it's that sin always ends badly. If you don't deal with it, it leads to tragedy. It affects your life. Here in chapter 31, Saul dies, a bitter end to his life. It affects the lives of those closest to you. Saul's three sons died in this text. It can affect many others. Look in chapter 31, verse 7. It says, when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley with those who were beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled Then the Philistines came and lived in them. When they saw their leader die, when they saw the army routed before the Philistines, the people fled the cities and the Philistines came to live in those cities. It's a sad, sad state for the nation of Israel. Saul's sin affected his own life. It affected those closest to him and it affected others. If you think your sin doesn't affect others, you're kidding yourself. I've seen people try to play that game. These are my decisions and, 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 you know, my kids are resilient, and, and they'll, be, they'll be able to deal with this. They'll get through this. No, no, no. Your sin affects those around you. Saul's sin affected those around him. Sin leads to tragedy. You cannot play with sin and not expect to get bit. doesn't work like that. Sin leads to tragedy. Secondly, Everyone is a great sinner. Not a lot of amens on that. But it's true. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room is a great sinner, including the pastor talking to you this morning. We've all blown it. We've all rebelled against God. We've all turned our back to Him and gone our own direction. We've all done things He's told us not to do. We've all not done things He's told us to do. We are all great sinners. Listen. But we're not all great repenters. Everyone's a great sinner, but not everyone is a great repenter. What's so interesting about Saul's response is that he is sorrowful He is despondent when he hears the news of God's judgment, but he never repents. He lays there terrified, but he never says, God, I've blown it. Please restore me. Please forgive me. Give me another chance. There's none of that. He's upset. He's terrified. He's down and out. But he's never desperate enough to repent. Everyone's a great sinner, but not everyone's a great repenter. You see, Saul was a great sinner, so was David. You remember last week? We talked about the downward spiral of sin, how David did some really wicked things. And if you keep reading into 2 Samuel, David continues to do some wicked stuff. He commits adultery. He murders someone to cover it up. I mean, I mean, he was a great sinner too, just like Saul. But here's the difference between Saul and David. David would repent. David gets right with God when he's confronted with his sin. And the question is not, are you a great sinner or am I a great sinner? The question is, when we are confronted with our sin, when God gets a hold of our hearts, at that moment, will we repent? 
Or will we continue down that pathway that ends in destruction? What does repentance look like? Read Psalm 51 after David was confronted with his adultery and murder by the prophet Nathan. Psalm 51, David prays this powerful prayer of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Cleanse me as with hyssop. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David was a great repenter. Warren Wiersbe writes, Saul's disobedience in the past led to darkness in the present and defeat and death in the future. When God gave him opportunities to repent, he ignored them. I mean, read the book of 1 Samuel. You see Saul upset he's losing his kingdom, but he never repents. Never. Read the book. You will not see Saul desperate to be right with God. But by contrast, David experienced a great turnaround. We talked last week about his downward spiral of sin. If you look at chapter 30, the Bible says when David was at his lowest moment, it says he stopped and he strengthened himself in the Lord his God, and then things begin to go better. God gives him a great victory. He recovers his family and his goods from the Amalekites that had raided his city. He has so many spoils that he's able to give them to different tribes in Judah to be a blessing to them. So David's story ends well in chapter 30 because he had repented and gotten right with God. So everyone's a great sinner. The question is, are you a repenter when God shows you your sin? Do you have a heart to get right with God? And deal radically with your sin. And then let me give you one final statement. Everyone is a great sinner, so everyone needs a Savior. Everyone's a great sinner, so everyone needs a Savior. As I was studying this passage, closing down the book of 1 Samuel, my heart was just heavy. There's no good news at the end of this book. Really, there's really not. It's sad. How it all ends, how Saul ends, how his, how his son's life, lives ends, how the, the army of Israel is soundly defeated. It's, it's sad. And, and I was asking myself this past week, where's the hope in this story? I don't want my people leaving on Sunday thinking there's no hope. Where is the hope in this story? Let me show you. If you look in there in your Bible, look to the top of the page, and notice it says... First, Samuel. That means the story continues on after chapter 31. There's a second Samuel. As Paul Harvey says, there's the rest of the story. And let me tell you what happens in Second Samuel. In Second Samuel, the Lord appears to David. He says, David, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you a lineage of, of kings. And one day, I'm going to send a descendant through your lineage that will reign forever. Who's that talking about? It's talking about the King of Kings. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Through the lineage of King David, God sent Jesus Christ to come to this earth, and Jesus came and took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross to die as our substitute. And he died for our sins. And then after he died, he was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And then he ascended to the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And one day he will return victorious and triumphant, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's the rest of the story. There's hope because this is not how the story ends. Jesus is going to come one day. 
to make all things new. See, God made a way for you and me to be saved from the sin that brings the misery and the pain and the separation from God. Let me close with these two statements. Number one, the end of our story doesn't have to be pain, misery, brokenness, separation, and destruction. Your story does not have to end like Saul's. That does not have to be the end of our story. Jesus will step into your sad story. We've all got some sad stories, don't we? Sin brings misery and separation and despondency and destruction. But if we'll let Jesus, he'll step into our sad story and begin to make all things new. So here's the application. If you read 1 Samuel and you think about 1 Samuel, here's what you need to walk away with. We need to seek the Lord while he may be found. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. I want to show you this in the Bible. Isaiah 55, verse 6. I think it's a great verse to close our time in 1 Samuel. The Bible says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So wait, I've got abundant sin in my life. If you'll turn to Jesus, he will abundantly pardon. Now, this means two things for two different groups of people. Number one, if you're here and you're lost, if you were to die right now and you're not sure if you would go to heaven, if you don't know where you would spend eternity, if you don't have a personal relationship with God, seek the Lord today. Come to Christ today. Because we're not guaranteed another blink of our eye. We're not guaranteed another beat of our heart. You need Christ today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Seek Him. Call on Him. Embrace Him while He is near. While there is time. And then secondly, you're a believer in Christ, but you've found yourself veering off the right path, going down the wrong road, making some unwise, ungodly decisions. Be a great repenter. Today, while there is time, today, before you experience further consequences for your sin, today, get right with God. Turn from your sin and run to the Father and I believe that when you take a step towards God, He will come running to you with His mercy and His grace and His abundant pardon. But you've got to repent. You've got to turn. You've got to want a new beginning. And let God do that in your life. You know what this room is? This room is a collection of sad stories. The question is, how many of us will let Jesus step into our sad story? And change things. Make things new. You can't listen, you can't play with snakes and not expect to get bit. And you can't hold on to sin and play with sin and not expect devastating consequences. Seek the Lord while he may be found.